welcome to Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. Uh, today we have uh, David, and we have a guest you've known for a long time, uh, returning uh, from uh, her podcast with us last week, uh, Jasmine Yohai. Hi, David. Hi, Tom. How are you doing? Thank you very much. Um, I'm happy to have Jazz back on the program. She's my stepdaughter. We've been working together, doing workshops together for about five years. And each year we do it, it gets better. In the last program, we talked about Jazz's background as a dance major, evolving into, into expressive arts therapy. And then she's currently working in Oakland, housing homeless people. And the topic of this podcast is really trying to understand the world through the eyes of the homeless, maybe some of the things contributing to it, and maybe how we can use some of these concepts to reach that population. But Jazz's perspective is incredibly valuable. She's right in the trenches with these people, working with them every day. And her perspective, how long have you been doing this now, Jazz? Almost two years. Two years, okay. Anyway, Jazz, I can introduce yourself just really briefly and uh, where you're working and, and what you do on a daily basis. Okay. Um, hi, I'm Jasmine, and currently I work for Bay Area Community Services in the Landlord Liaison Program. So all of my clients, for the most part, um, have a permanent housing subsidy granted by the county. So that means that when, once I get referrals, I might usually go find my clients um, and they might be living in encampments or living in their cars or in shelters. And, um, and it's my job really to find them and tell them that they've just received a permanent housing subsidy, which is a huge deal because there aren't many that are allotted in Alameda County per year. And the homelessness I just read in Oakland alone in the last two years has gone up 47%. Really? Just in the last two years? In the last two years in Oakland. So for someone to receive that kind of information, it is a real blessing. But you actually have to, you have to find them, physically find them? Sometimes. So um, I've had clients that were in encampments, and I had to actually go into these encampments, look for them. I've had clients that are are that are AWOL, no one knows where they are because they're, you know, in the throes of addiction or um, have mental health issues that aren't being treated. So sometimes it actually is really difficult to find clients and sometimes they're, um, sometimes they're not ready to be in a permanent housing situation. What do you mean by that? Um, I once had a client that was so symptomatic that that any place I would show her, she just, she couldn't stop, she couldn't stop the, she couldn't, she wasn't being treated. Um, I guess she probably also was using different kinds of drugs, but her delusions were so off the wall that she couldn't accept any unit that I showed her because she would just see bugs crawling everywhere. So in a situation like that, she really needs a higher level of care where she would, she wouldn't really be, there is no place, but she was adamant about living alone. So we had to actually give her back to the county. And to be honest, I'm not sure if she even has her subsidy still based on where she was at. And I think that 
how for the she, most How does she qualify for it in the first place? So most of the things that they look for now, we have a coordinated entry system in Alameda County where everyone takes the same assessment and all the information goes into a centralized database and is then calculated. So it's all in a system. And what they are really looking for, to be totally honest, is how many resources are these people utilizing in the county? So if people are, are arrested a lot, if they're being hospitalized a lot, that's going to prioritize you higher on the list really? to get a permanent housing subsidy because the county doesn't want you spending their money. I see. So, so, of money so it, it, you know what, working in the nonprofit, in the nonprofit world for the past, I guess, five years, I really noticed it really does boil down to money. And it's really crazy because I, I didn't come into this. No one is in this work for money. And if you are, I think you need to talk to someone because this is not the job you get into if you want to make money. This is social work is not a money maker. However, the nonprofit world is pretty cutthroat and it does always boil down to money. I think the other qualifiers to get a permanent housing subsidy are if you've been chronically homeless, that's a really that's something that will prioritize you if you've been homeless for many, many years. Um, and then also, I would say most of my referrals I've received in the past year and a half have all had a physical health issue, a chronic health condition, and a mental health disorder. Most of them do. All of them have. You, said, you think all the ones? In the past year and a half, what all the people who are prioritized have all of those things. Mental health issues. Mental health, physical health, and a chronic health condition, whether that be diabetes or um, what HIV. A, what about addiction issues? So are most of them or some of them or? I would say every single one of my clients has had some some bout with addiction at some point in their life. Okay. Some of them still are still in it and they're still able to be housed because we have a housing first model at my organization, which means, which I actually really agree with. Um, how are you to expect someone to heal and transform in a place when they don't have two feet on the ground and they don't have a place to lie their head consistently. Right. And this is what we were talking about before, the basic human needs. If right. you don't have shelter, you don't shelter food and water, how are you supposed to work on your addiction issues? Right. How are you supposed to work on your meth addiction when you're living in a park? Right. You know? And it's like, because that, with that, I mean, and you're trying to work and, or you're trying to take care of a child. I mean, what percent, I, what percent of people that are homeless have kids. I don't know the exact percentage. Let me just also, some, quite a few. So my organization actually is only supposed to really be working with individuals, but in the past, um, in this past year only, I've actually been working more with children. Really? And that's been really hard because if you know of a six-year-old who is living in a tent with his mom, um, that's not necessarily something where CPS needs to get involved. Being homeless, being homeless as a child is that's not some that doesn't mean that you're experiencing harm necessarily. Right. right. There's also a place where you can have your friends over for lunch or have a play date afterwards. I mean, it's not a very well, nurturing the, existence, right? Well, the really the the interesting part about working with young children who are homeless is that I don't 
think from my experience, it doesn't seem like they're re really processing what's going on really? in the moment. In a way, it's 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 for some of for the, I mean I I'm just gonna say I haven't had a lot of experience working with families because my organization solely works with individuals, but I did teach housing workshops for a year, and in and so I met a lot of families and meeting these kids, I noticed that for them it's not it for a lot of them it was almost fun. Really. Just... It was like an adventure and they were only focused on the toys in my car and like, really? and looking at like, you know, shiny things. And they weren't really, they didn't care or they weren't processing how traumatic it is to not have that kind of consistency. Right. But if the parents under that much stress, that can be really great <clears throat> for the kid. I mean, you're not in the best mood when you're not having food over your, food over your table in a house to live in. I mean, I can only imagine that this will definitely manifest later on in those kids' lives. Right. And that part is kind of is sad. And it's hard to watch. It's the, Working with children is really hard. And typically, we don't work with children that right. We asked you guys a question before this podcast about why the homeless situation. And I guess I just wasn't aware of the reasons why the homeless situation becomes so... I mean, 10 years ago, it was there, but nothing like it is now. And Jazz, can you just explain again why you think I mean, there's obviously lots of factors contributing to homelessness, but you mentioned one specifically. Yeah, well, I I mean, it seems pretty evident that the living in the Bay Area, the tech industry has had a major impact on on the housing crisis here. Um, people in San Francisco, and and to be honest, my I have a lot of friends that work in the tech industry, so it's kind of, it's been hard. In, you know, when I'm talking to my clients or teaching these housing workshops, when I'm explaining, you know, this tech industry is really majorly affecting you. And I'm talking to, I'm talking to people from Oakland whose parents are from Oakland, who have lived here their entire lives, who are living on the streets now because they've been kicked out of their homes, because there are people who are my age from elsewhere, transplants, making exorbitant amounts of money. And if you think about it, a landlord, think about like how a landlord in Oakland and when they're thinking about building their business and they're thinking about what kinds of tenants they want, do they want to give a chance to a tenant who doesn't have a lot of rental history or doesn't make as much money or doesn't really meet certain criteria right. or this person who has this job at Google that is super, seems super secure in that who's young and seems quiet. And honestly, if you look also at the homeless population, I mean, race does also factor in. How's that? If you, I'm, I don't know statistically, but now I'm curious and want to look it up. But if you think about how, if you think about people of color um, and think about the majority, what what's the majority of the homeless population? I don't know. Well, this is something we're going to um, get back to the, the podcast okay. listeners on because your impression is that it's not evenly distributed very well. I think that people of color have been oppressed for a long time and they're continually oppressed here in the Bay Area. We Just because we're in the Bay Area doesn't mean we're woke. Doesn't mean we're woke. Doesn't mean we're woke.
could explain that to someone like, my age? My okay. Oh, I'm woke then. You're not woke. <laughs> You're not woke if you didn't know the tech industry was affecting the housing crisis in the Bay Area. <laughs> now, but now I'm woke. Maybe. Right. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so going back to this, so one of the reasons this came up because again, I saw patients with IV drug addiction. They would get bacteria in their bloodstream. It would lodge in their spines, and their spines would get infected. And these are $100,000 operations that they would be in the hospital for six weeks. Probably a third of my entire practice were people that were homeless. I did get to know these people in the hospital. And what was remarkable to me is that what was, was driving them to addiction was the mental pain. It was the anxiety. And they would just do anything to escape the anxiety. And in the hospital, we had some success about calming them down. They would come off the medication. Of course, they would go home back to abusive situations or they went back in the streets. And I've said for a long time that stress isn't the problem, it's a chemical reaction to stress. But when it comes to homelessness, we, we don't have those basic needs being met. That's sort of a deal breaker, I think, as far as actually solving other issues in your life. If you can't get those needs met, like Jazz pointed out earlier in the conversation before we get on the air, was that if you, if you can't really work on other parts of your life, if you can't get those basic needs met, and one of the questions I have for Jazz, do you see any way some of these concepts can get into the population that could be helpful or not so much? Well, I don't think that I really have an answer, but I definitely am really curious about talking and opening up this conversation because I, I'm constantly giving David's book out or your book out mm -hmm. to um, a lot of my clients. Okay. And some of them... I do think are would be able to grasp some of the concepts because they also just to reiterate, most of my clients are now housed. They are. Yeah. Because they have because they're on this permanent they have a permanent housing subsidy. And my job is basically to make sure that they can sustain their housing and and sweet talk landlords into letting the, you know, I just I'm I smooth things over. I'm the like I'm the bridge. Hey, I paid you back. <laughs> I needed help with moving costs when I first moved back to Oakland. I mean, that's like that's just the reality of the situation. And if you don't have a David in your life, it's a problem. Yeah. But this is about actually your situation. I mean, if you want to live in a house by yourself, you really couldn't do that. Well, right? I looked because I currently live with six other people. Right. And at one point, it was getting a little chaotic, and I said, I can't do this anymore. I, I, I'm just going to start to look into other housing you know, situations, and I wouldn't even be able to. I wouldn't qualify because I don't make two and a half times rent. I would say, on average, a one-bedroom. So the FMR for Oakland was eighteen fifty-five for a one-bedroom, but I would say that, on average, a one-bedroom here is 19 to 2200 really yeah and they i mean you could definitely find a, a one bedroom in deep east oakland where there are a lot there's a lot going on in deep east oakland so it comes with a price i mean the low rent also comes with another price the price of your life because you want to be able to walk outside at night without feeling you're right. in danger and so you only, could find a place for fifteen hundred, maybe sixteen hundred. So even there, it's still that expensive. It's fifteen or sixteen hundred in the ghetto. In the ghetto, the 
extreme like gang infested ghetto. Yikes. And my clients who live out there pay sixteen hundred a month or uh sixteen to eighteen hundred dollars a month. But they're rent subsidized, so they're able to do it. But even them, I mean I've had to move people because of um because of gang related things. Really? Yes. And because of violence, people experiencing victims of violence. Like my client, one of my clients is a victim of violence from someone coming into her place. And I mean, there's a lot going on in Oakland still. So it's kind of interesting. Like, yes, even though the tech industry and like and that affluent thing is happening. So while that's happening, people are really experiencing the on the opposite end of the spectrum, like terrible things i mean people are so desperate right now i don't know there's been a lot more break-ins a lot more robberies i mean crime is really up and i think that people are really desperate and really don't know what to do because without having these basic needs met like we're saying how can you focus on your back pain if you i mean how can you focus on that kind of stuff? You right. can't. And I have so many clients in chronic pain. And even though mm. they are housed now, this is another question. How can we bridge this work to someone who also might not be um, the best reader? Right. You know, and you are pretty adamant about, I don't want to talk to you until you read my book. But I think that that should I be mean, a little bit. Life be changeable. I think that that should be, but even the audible. Do you want to do a little? Do you have a audio book? We do. Yes. Yeah, we have oh. an audio book. Where do, Where do you find the audio book? It's on, it's on Amazon. Amazon. Um, audio book. Okay. Yeah. I mean, one of my dreams, by the way, which is maybe a pipe dream here, is that, I mean, the um, one of the biggest solutions we've seen is that the community setting is really powerful. But jazz brings up a really important point because I've, I've basically the essence of solving chronic pain is connecting to your own healing capacity, which means feeling safe. Now, being safe means being safe from your own thoughts, your own self judgment, self criticism, being safe from your own pain. But it just strikes me as I'm talking to you is that when you're on the street, you really don't physically feel safe. How? So your body's chemistry is on high alert, doubles nerve conduction. You don't feel very safe and comfortable because when you're falling in this of the play chemicals and relax, you feel great. When you're a hyper alert, hyper vigilant, full of stress chemicals, you don't feel very good. And it just strikes me. I hadn't even thought of that part of it about physically feeling threatened. Is you obviously aren't physically safe, which is a huge problem to treat chronic pain. Yeah, I mean, living on the streets, you're constantly in survival mode. Right. Because people, I mean, you never know who's going to attack you. A lot of homeless people will have knives. Really? Yeah. Or some, I mean, I would say luckily I haven't really experienced much gun violence right. in the homeless population, but I have experienced there. I have seen people with knives. Are you comfortable talking about your last situation this last week or that something I want to talk about? I mean, I can say that one i did witness my one of my clients attacked um by a, a homeless guy with a machete right so that was really traumatizing um for everybody for everyone well for i was yeah i mean i have never been in a situation i've never seen someone use a machete 
with the intent to hurt someone in real life ever. I mean, that's just you, that's just something you see in movies. I've never been exposed to that kind of um, that kind of violence. So I was definitely really shaken up, and I think that um, for the people that are living on the streets, it's not it's they're almost desensitized to this kind of stuff at this point where it's just a matter of, oh, I'm going to get him next time with a bigger weapon. And that's the problem, especially now. I mean, we could have a whole other podcast talking about gun violence, but we probably won't. But I mean, in today, right now with what's going on, it's very scary. And there is a lot of gun violence here in Oakland. I would say typically it's mostly gang related. Really? But I would say that when people are talking about what they're affiliated with, and if there's any kind, I mean, I have a client who's affiliated with some white supremacist thing out of the Aryan Brotherhood, whatever it is. I don't want to be trapped in in her, but I don't know. I don't know this world. I don't know. I don't know about it, but I do know that, that people right now are desperate to feel better and if that means being more like violent and powerful and like healing someone if that's what it takes like they'll do whatever it takes to feel better because people feel really bad right now and these people are really oppressed and if people that have been institutionalized for years like the prison system like this one client in particular this is the product of our prison system Now he is having a really hard time being a free man because he has been exposed to the most traumatic system ever, ever, right? And has not had the support, has not had real love or trust or family or belonging. So for him, he had to uh, he had to ascribe to some group. He is a white man, so ascribing to the white group in the prison it's really racially divided and you need protection when you're in that system right so it's all messed up i don't really know what to say about it and i don't know how we can bridge your work to these different populations i think there are some homeless people or people that maybe have been recently housed that maybe we can be bridge this work because i know so many people in chronic pain right so many of my clients have chronic pain and they say that they say i have chronic pain they even know how to say that they know that's what it's called because they go to doctors and their doctors say you have chronic pain and then they're like okay well i just will have this forever right and i try to tell them like maybe there's another way but i think that there needs to be a way to bridge this material that's not like inviting them to one of your workshops of maybe hosting a separate workshop where people would feel comfortable in like a wellness center or a place where they all feel like they could be understood and safe yeah i mean one of my things i've tried for years i've actually tried a few times is actually working in the prison system you know bring these concepts into there because it makes no sense to put somebody into prison not teach them any life skills and then Really, I think if somebody's going to be put in prison, it's the responsibility of the prison system to protect the prisoner, to, to make them feel safe. And of course, it's sort of this macho, well, you, you're in prison, you don't deserve to be safe. And it's deadly for coming out in the real world and actually trying to, you know, integrate. Integrate. It's just it's a disaster. But I do want to say that the reentry team at Bay Area Community Services is really amazing. Oh, 
Oh, cool. And I think that there are programs for reintegration, um, but sometimes it's really hard, just as hard as it is to try to house someone, even if they have the housing subsidy, if there's been so much trauma, oh, and, and then there's me trying to convince them. I mean, there's just, sometimes there's so much work to be done in order to get them right. to be, to integrate into this world. Right. Um, anyway, Jazz, thank you very much. Thank that you. That was fun. And uh, we'll, we'll talk soon. Well, David and Jazz, thank you again. Uh, this was really, uh, I, I think this really, uh, the episode tonight really touched on some key social issues and how they intertwine with issues around self-healing and that we can't separate the individual from the environment that they're in necessarily when we're talking about these things. And I want to remind our listeners to join us next week for another podcast on Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. And in the meantime, be sure to visit the website at www.backincontrol.com. Thanks, Tom. Thank you. Thanks for listening today and join us next week for Back in Control Radio.